Welcome to NBA Talk with Isaac Wolf. I am your host, Isaac Wolf. The second round is done. The conference finals are here. A lot has happened. But first, there's a trade that went down. Kemba Walker is going to the Thunder, along with the number 16 overall pick in this year's draft and a 2025 second round pick in exchange for Al Horford, who returns to the Celtics, Moses Brown, and a 2023 second round pick. I do not like this. I don't like it for Boston. I love it for OKC, but Boston already has five centers. Robert Williams, Tristan Thompson, Luke Cornett, Mo Wagner, who can play the four, and Taco Fall. Now they have seven. They have seven centers on their roster. Now I'm sure some of them have expiring contracts this offseason, but still, you have seven centers. Why did you trade a point guard for two centers? It makes no sense at all. I like Brown. Horford is too old to do much anymore. But still, that's, that's too many bigs that are capable of playing minutes. Walker was looking better as the season went on. He finally got in a rhythm, scored 30 points a couple times. You probably could have found a little better than that for him, especially when you gave up the number 16 overall pick. Now Boston doesn't have a point guard. The Celtics are a mess. Tatum is, you know, really the only bright spot. Brown, obviously, we hope he recovers from his wrist injury. However, they do have a head coach now. Ime Udoka is a Nets assistant, and he is just now finalizing a contract to replace Brad Stevens as the Celtics head coach, so that should be interesting. DeAndre Hunter is out for the season with a torn meniscus. This is a tough blow for the Hawks, who are playing. He, I mean, they could have used his defense and shooting against Milwaukee. Specifically, he probably could have defended and would have defended Giannis Antetokounmpo, but that's going to be an interesting series. Tom Thibodeau, we're going to go through some awards here because a lot of awards were announced in the past week. Tom Thibodeau won Coach of the Year, and... He was third on my list compared to what Monty Williams did and Quinn Snyder did with the number two and number one teams in the West, the teams with the two best records in the league. I thought that was better than the Knicks improvement. But I guess when you compare the rosters, Thibodeau was given much less to work with. I mean, that's his argument. So congratulations to him. I think he has the Knicks headed in the right direction. Rudy Gobert, one defensive player of the year again. He becomes the fourth player in NBA history to win the award three or more times. Ken Bateman Tumble won it four times. Ben Wallace won it four times. And Dwight Howard won it three times. Come on, man. Really? Rudy Gobert? Nobody is scared of Rudy Gobert. Nobody. There are guys who fear having Draymond Green on them on the perimeter. There are guys who fear Ben Simmons on them because he can literally guard any position. Everybody just attacks Rudy Gobert. I swear he gets dunked on every night. We saw Terrence Mann do it in the second round. No one's scared of Rudy Gobert. No one's scared to go up against Rudy Gobert. Everybody's attacking him. Everyone's exploiting him somehow, specifically on the perimeter. I just, I don't get it. I don't get how he's a three-time defensive player of the year. It just, it just doesn't make sense to me. LaMelo Ball won Rookie of the Year. Again, I don't know how. Because he missed so much time with injury. Anthony Edwards played all 72 games and performed better than him pretty much all season. LaMelo did get off to a quicker start. And he was able to give more all-around production. Averages, averages like 15, 6, and 5 or something like that. 
Edwards' shooting percentages weren't great at first, but he upped his scoring average to almost 20 points a game, I believe. Somewhere around 18 or 19 points a game. And, you know, I guess the media just felt they probably had to give it to LaMelo, but whatever. Nikola Jokic won MVP. Very deserving. This is one I agree with. He played in every game this season. Consistent production every night, averaging 26 points by far a career high. 20, or excuse me, uh, almost 11 rebounds per game, 10.8, and 8.3 assists as a center. And he didn't win this because he dominates with athleticism. I wouldn't, I won't call him straight up unathletic, but he doesn't have bounce and he doesn't get down the court very fast. He's just so crafty. He uses his body well and still dominates despite being at a disadvantage almost every night in terms of, uh, of athleticism. It's incredibly impressive what Jokic has done this year. And his first MVP award is well-deserved. It's unfortunate that he got swept, but he still performed well. The overall MVP ballot looks like this. Jokic got 91 out of 101 first place votes. Steph Curry was the next closest with five. Chris Paul got two. Joel Embiid got one. Giannis got one. And the last first place vote went to Derek Rose. I don't know if that guy was serious or not. I mean, yeah, he kind of had a comeback season. But my word, first place in the MVP conversation? I don't think so. Embiid had the most second place votes with 62. Curry had 23. Giannis had the most third place votes with 34 and fourth place with 41. So total points, Jokic blew everyone out of the water. 971 points. Embiid 586. Curry 453. Basically, it wasn't close, and it shouldn't have been. Embiid was injured for too long, and Curry's team didn't even make the playoffs after two chances in the play-in. Curry did do historic things, but it really made no impact on this team. Okay, that's not true. It was it was just not enough to propel them to a playoff spot. And that's certainly something, you know, to bring up. The MVP has become the award of who has had the best individual season on one of the top teams in the league. Not really the most valuable player. Because if that was the case, it probably would be Curry or LeBron or Luka or even Julius Randle. Because the Knicks without him would be absolutely nowhere. I still think Jokic deserved it though. So congrats, Nikola. But the work is not done. You got swept in the second round. And now you need to prove that you can get back to the conference finals. Couple front office head coaching moves. The Mavericks parted ways with GM Donnie Nelson. There was Luca it sounded like Luca was unhappy. And so they made the necessary adjustments. The Pelicans fired Stan Van Gundy. That situation with Zion is getting interesting because apparently his family doesn't want him to play in New Orleans. Some of his, some not all of his family, but some family members do not want him to play for the Pelicans. And so they fired Stan Van Gundy. Maybe that changes things. I don't know. Scott Brooks and the Wizards parted ways as well. When we come back, we're going to recap the very exciting second round action. Stay with us. Welcome back to NBA Talk with Isaac Wolf. I am your host, Isaac Wolf. Let's recap the second round, starting with Bucks Nets. The Bucks won in seven. The Brooklyn Nets lost. Unbelievable. Game five. Durant had a historic performance. 
49, 17, and 10. 49 points, 17 rebounds, 10 assists. Only player in NBA playoff history to have four, at least 45 points, 15 rebounds, and 10 assists in a game. Game six was just a masterful Bucks performance. They held the Nets, I think, to like 83 points in Milwaukee. Textbook defense. Game seven was amazing. I couldn't see it because I was in an airport in Ecuador. And that is also why you have not heard from me in over a week. But I did. I didn't see it live, but I did see most of the highlights. Durant shot at the end of regulation. That was impressive. Literally, though, if he was one shoe size smaller, it would have been a three. Series would have been over. Nets would be in the Eastern Conference Finals right now against the Hawks, and it would be a sweep. Anyway, his toes were barely on the line. Now, it was both feet. It wasn't like it was just one foot. It was both feet, but the toes were just barely over the line. It was so unfortunate. And then somehow the Nets only scored two points in overtime. They went like one for 12, I think. The final score was 115 to 111. Middleton broke the 111-111 tie. And then eventually I think there were two more free throws at the end. So the Bucks win on the road in game seven. Durant finishes with 48 points. The most ever in a game seven. He did everything he could. It's safe to say that the Nets would have won if they were healthy. Harden had a grade two you know, hamstring strain that he was playing with. He wasn't 100% when he came back. He kind of rushed it just because, you know, he almost had to. And then obviously Kyrie's sprained ankle kept him out. And they still almost won. They still almost won that series. They lost by four in overtime at home without a healthy Harden and without Kyrie at all. It took a massive effort from Durant to keep the Nets in it, though. Joe Harris was just not himself. 19 points in game one, 13 points in game two, but 35 points the rest of the series. The next five games, he averaged seven points a game. Game three, he was one for 11 from the field. Game five, he was two for 11 from the field. And game seven, he was three for 10. He's a shooter. You're a shooter, Joe Harris. You're supposed to be able to shoot knockdown shots. You did it all year. But for some reason, starting in game three, when you went one for 11, you lost everything. Blake Griffin played well. He gave the necessary contributions that he needed to, you know. Harden finished with 22 points, 9 rebounds, 9 assists. He was 5 of 17, 2 of 12 from 3. So, obviously, you know, that hamstring was bothering him. The Nets bench literally did not score in this game. Only two bench players got in the game, and I think only one of them played like five minutes. That's a problem. This needs... Steve Nash needs to take some of the blame for this. Because Kevin Durant played 48 minutes in game five. I wouldn't be surprised if he played all 48 in game six. I'm not sure. I can't confirm that though. Oh no, he did not because they were down by like 20 at the end. But Durant played all 53 minutes in game seven. Harden was in the upper four. The entire starting lineup was in the upper 40s because they used one bench guy basically. This, at some point... Steve Nash has to be, he has to say, I got to trust the role players. Even if it's just for three minutes, if you give Durant or Harden a three minute rest, that could be everything. Because clearly Durant was tired on that last shot. I have never, never seen Durant airball a shot like that before. Like it wasn't even close. 
and fatigue had something to do with that. His legs had to be dead at that point. Steve Nash needs to figure out rotations in games like that. You can't use your starters the entire game and expect them to perform all the way till the very last possession in overtime, despite how great they are. Some might say the Nets got what they deserved. James Harden showed up out of shape after, you know, demanding a trade from Houston. Kyrie was continuously leaving for personal reasons, really unexplained. And then Blake Griffin, you know, didn't play in Detroit, even though he was probably fine, basically stole money from the Pistons. You know, three of the main guys appearingly didn't take things seriously. And this wasn't fair for KD because he returned from a torn Achilles. The worst injury you could possibly have in basketball besides like, you know, probably breaking your leg like Paul George. But he dominated. He battled back from a hamstring injury midseason and then a bruised thigh like a few weeks later and still averaged 27-5, or excuse me, 27-7-5, shooting 53% from the field. He looked like regular Kevin Durant off a torn Achilles. It's unbelievable. His efforts in game five and seven cannot be overlooked. He deserved better, way better from his teammates. Nuggets Suns. Game one was close throughout the first half. Nuggets had a one-point lead at halftime in the second half. The Nuggets 12-3 run to start the quarter. But Macau Bridges scored eight straight points to respond. Part of a 16-0 Phoenix run that put them up seven. The crowd erupted. It was awesome to see. Phoenix has like one of the best crowds of, of the playoffs. In the fourth quarter, the ceiling point for me was 97 to 84. Chris Paul hit a sidestep three. Karen Payne threw a lot of Detroit Craig, and it was the loudest I've ever heard in NBA and Arena this year. Jokic was on the bench for Denver at that point in the game, and he came in as soon as he could after that, but it didn't matter because the Suns controlled the rest of the game, 122 to 105. Game two was a defensive battle-ish in the first half, low scoring in terms of, you know, modern-day standards, 52-42 Suns lead. Second half, Phoenix exploded for 71 points. The Nuggets' effort just wasn't there, according to head coach Mike Malone. He was not fond of their performance. Final score, 123-98, the Nuggets' worst loss of the season. That's impressive. Blowouts do happen often, but not to the Nuggets, apparently. 25 was their largest margin of defeat this year. Chris Paul, 17 points, 5 rebounds, 15 assists, and 0 turnovers. How about that? Balance scoring for Phoenix. Leading scorer for, uh, for Phoenix was Booker with 18 Paul, 17, Bridges, 16, 8, and 15. Jay Crowder, 11, Torrey Craig, 10, Sarge, 8, Payne, and Johnson, 7. And then the Suns swept the series after winning both games in Denver. In game four, Chris Paul was sensational. 37 points became the third in NBA history with 37 or more points in a playoff game at age 36 or older. Kind of a crazy stat. But Karl Malone and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar are the only two others to do such a thing. Paul averaged 25 points and 10 assists per game in that series after really an awful first-round performance against the Lakers. But Chris Paul, you know, is silencing every single doubter right now, including me. I said he wasn't elite anymore. I literally said, I went back and looked at the script. I literally said he couldn't put up 25 and 10 a night consistently. He just did. So props to him. I hope he comes back soon so he can be out on that conference final stage. Devin Booker? Some people are calling him the next Kobe Bryant. Stephen A. Smith, I believe, is the most outspoken about this. But I understand the comparison. 
but I completely disagree with it. We are talking about Kobe Bryant here. There are levels to this. Yes, they have similar games, but Kobe Bryant was one of the most skilled basketball players of all time. And not only was Kobe an offensive juggernaut, he was a part of 12 all-defensive teams. He was a nine-time all-defensive first-team member. Devin Booker's defense is not there. I'm, it is not there. It probably won't ever be there. Kobe, Kobe, people don't realize how much of a two-way menace Kobe was. Offensively, I understand it. You know, Booker really doesn't have any flaws. Kobe didn't have any flaws either, but there are levels to this, and Kobe played both ends. Booker really didn't. So we can stop that comparison for now. It's also part of it is also that it's a very small sample size because Booker, this is his first playoffs. So Jazz Clippers, the Jazz went up 2-0 before losing four straight. Kawhi helped tie it up 2-2 in LA before injuring his meniscus. We don't know the severity, but as far as we know, he's out for the conference finals, likely. However, the Clippers won games, games five and six without him. Why? Because Paul George. We will get to him in a minute with the free throws. But forget all the pandemic peace slander. All of that needs to stop. Playoff P is here. 26.6 points per game. At least 31 points. Four of his last six games. 37. 37 in the crucial game five road win. That totally changed the series. Best performance of his career, in my opinion. Maybe the, one of the best performances in Clippers history, along with Kawhi's 45 points in the first round against Dallas. Give Paul George all the credit for what he's done without Kawhi. Uh, and as long as CP3 is out, you know, with health and safety protocols, LA doesn't need Kawhi. If Chris is back, then PG can't do it by himself. But as long as both are out, I think it will be... And even seven-game series. Star absences are everything in this Western Conference Final Series between L.A. and Phoenix. Yes, I understand that the Suns are up 2-0. We will talk about that game in a second. But I'm still going with Clippers in seven. So, after last night, L.A. is down 0-2 for the third time in these playoffs. Game two was maybe the best game of the entire playoffs, honestly. In the third quarter... Devin Booker and Patrick Beverly bump heads. Both are bleeding like crazy. Go go to the locker room. Booker gets some, you know, cotton stuff shoved up his nose. Gets some stitches on his nose. Beverly just comes back with a headband on. They both come back. In the fourth quarter, it got real in the last three minutes. Mikhail Bridges and Paul George traded back-to-back threes. At this point, it's a three-point Suns lead. Then Aiton and Zubats trade hook shots. Clippers eventually cut the lead to one. Zubats blocks Payne, and then George goes coast-to-coast, finishes on the other end, 101-100 to LA. Then Booker and George, back-to-back mid-range pull-ups, 103-102 LA with the lead. Suns turn it over with nine seconds left. They foul Paul George, and Paul George, I know I just praised him, but he misses both free throws. They're up by one. He misses both free throws. On the other end, Macau Bridges misses a three. It's out of bounds off LA. There is somewhere around 
I believe it's like 0.8 seconds left, 0.9, 0.9 seconds left. And Monty Williams just draws up the perfect play. It's the play that makes the most sense because yes, everybody's expecting the ball to go to Devin Booker because, you know, he's been the star throughout these playoffs, only had 20 points last night, but 0.9 is enough to catch and shoot. But why not throw it to the 6'11", 200, I don't know, 50, 60 pound DeAndre Ayton, who is 10,000 times more athletic than Ivica Zubats. I, like, let's face it, Zubats can't jump. He's, he's like Jokic. DeAndre Ayton can jump. He is athletic. Zubats cannot compete with that. So, Monty Williams, being the very smart head coach that he is, gives Jay Crowder the ball on the inbound. Crowder throws the perfect pass. Oh my word, it could not be, it could not have been thrown any better because give Zubats credit, he was literally like two inches away from tipping it and disrupting the entire play. Crowder throws it in the perfect spot right above the rim. Aiden taps it in more like a soft dunk. But some people would say, why wasn't that goaltending? Because it's a live ball off an inbound. There's no offensive interference or goaltending like that on an inbound. So it's the perfectly executed play. Aiton finishes. They give LA, I think, 0.7 seconds left to do something, but they have to inbound for full court because they have no timeouts to advance the ball. They chuck it to Paul George. George takes seven seconds to catch it, gather, look at the basket before he actually fires up a shot. I mean, at that point, you just might as well just chuck a hook shot. I don't even care. You at least get try to get the shot off. But 104 to 103 was the final score. The Suns win. As far as replay reviews, because there were a lot of them last night. The last three minutes of game time took about 35 minutes real time. Last three minutes of game time took around 35 minutes real time. First review was when Paul George threw a lazy inbound pass and uh, Ivica Zubats wasn't looking. Him and Aiton battled for it, and it rolled out of bounds. They called it a jump ball on the floor because they genuinely didn't know who it went off of. And it was overturned to Clippers ball, which was the right call because Aiton touched it with both hands. Some people were arguing it went off Zubats' leg. It did not. It took me like, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds to, to put that together. But the refs took like seven minutes. Like, ugh. And then there was an offensive foul. Devin Booker, you know, elbowed Patrick Beverly in the face. They reviewed it for a hostile act, but it was nothing more than a common offensive foul. Beverly even flopped a little bit. Those two were pretty chippy throughout this game. But that should not have taken longer than it, as long as it did. Then Patrick Beverly poked the ball out of Devin Booker's hands. They called it, I believe they called it Sun's Ball. Because they thought Beverly touched it last, you know, the momentum of him just pushing it out. But Booker clearly had he, he clearly had handled the ball, the possession of the ball. The ball was in his hands after Beverly had swiped through. And then the ball went out of bounds. So they overturned that, and that's that was the correct call. But it did not need to take 10 minutes. It took me two replays. Like 15 seconds to figure that out. I don't understand. These guys are professionals. These guys are supposedly professional refs. And it takes them like 
80 times longer than it does for me to make the right call. It's just, it's just sad. And then there was a replay after Bridges missed the three. They were wondering who it went off of. That was pretty clear. That was clearly off of, I think it was Terrence Mann. And then, you know, there was a replay that took, ah, this one felt like 30 minutes for after Aiton's dunk, which was clearly off in time. But they were reviewing to see how much time they would give the Clippers. And they, they got it right, 0.7 seconds. But my word, it is it does not take that long. It was, I mean, the reviews were excessive. They really were. They were necessary, but they weren't necessary to be used for that long. Like, it just took way too long, and it was it was really hard to watch, and it ruined it ruined the end of the game. It really did. But it was a fun game still. Sun's up 2-0 in that series. I still think the Clippers are going to win. However, it sounds like, breaking news, that Chris Paul will be returning for game three. And if Kawhi's not back, the Clippers just might be done. We'll see. Sixers-Hawks. This one went to seven games. Games one through four, you know, were even two to two. Game five was the turning point, which is usually true for every series tied 2-2. The Sixers were up by 26 points. And they blew it. They blew a 26-point lead. Trey Young had 39 points and 7 assists. Joel Embiid had 13 points, or excuse me, 37 points and 13 rebounds. Seth Curry, 36 points, 7 to 12 from 3. The next leading scorer had 8. Simmons and Korkmaz were tied with 8 points. Ben Simmons shot 4 of 14 from the free throw line. The final score was 109 to 106. All he had to do was shoot 57% from the free throw line. 57. If he made 8 of 14 free throws, you win. 4 of 14? That's atrocious. Yes, the overall team meltdown and Tobias Harris not showing up was big. Curry and Embiid were the only Sixers to make a shot in the second half. But the easiest fix is Simmons free throws. Because, you know, the game goes the same, really off a of make or a miss, you know, with free throws because everybody's in the same spots. <sighs> I I don't know how to help Ben Simmons, bro. I can't help him, but someone's got to figure out something to do with Ben Simmons because he just... Uh, we'll talk about it later. So the Sixers, you know, lost. So it was Hawks 3-2 after that. Um, if Simmons makes those free throws, it's three, two Sixers, more momentum, more confidence from Simmons. Probably they won game six anyway, probably would have been Philly and six, but no, they lost game five. Game six was a good Sixer win in Atlanta, but Ben Simmons only had six points. Game seven, biggest lead on either side was seven. And you know, that was the final score differential through three quarters. Trey young was two of 16 from the floor. He had 11 points. The turning point, according to the world, and later confirmed by teammate Joel Embiid. So Kevin Herter hits a very tough shot. It's like a spinning, he he does a spin move and then like floats it up from about the elbow. It's a very tough shot, very good shot from him. Yeah, he had 27 points. How about that? 88-86, Hawks lead with 346 left. Sixers have the chance to tie. Ben Simmons is posting up. Uh, I think it's on Bogdanovich. I am Pretty sure it's on Bogdanovich. He spins off of, I think, Bogdanovich. 
literally has a wide open dunk. He's standing under the basket. All he has to do is jump straight up and put the ball right through the hoop. Nobody was there to block his shot. Nobody was there to even foul him. Nobody was there to intimidate him. Trey Young was on the opposite side of the of the lane, kind of like doing a little hand motion or something like to make Simmons think. And Simmons thought. Ben Simmons had an open dunk, wide open dunk attempt. And he passed it to Mat- Matisse Thibel, who got fouled. You've seen him by now. You, you've had to have seen him by now. Ben Simmons gave up a wide open dunk that would have that would have tied the game. He was clearly in his head at this point. It was terrible to watch. Thibault made one of two free throws. Capella and Young scored on back-to-back possessions for the Hawks. A six-point Atlanta lead now. Everything changed when Ben Simmons chose not to shoot. Trey Young hit a three from like 30 feet. Guy going four of six in the last two minutes, I think, from the field. And the Hawks control the rest of the game. The final score was 103-96. to After the game, Embiid said this. I'll be honest. I thought the turning point was when we had an open shot. And we made one free throw and we missed the other. And they came down and scored. And clearly, that was that sequence. Because he followed it up by talking about the empty Philly possession and Trey's three. The process is over. It was over, but this confirms it. The Sixers need to trade Ben Simmons. The Sixers need to trade Ben Simmons. He is a center playing point guard. He is a throwback big on offense. Literally only shoots the types of shots Shaq would take. He shoots within five feet of the basket. I believe one one of his 95 attempted field goals in the playoffs was from outside of the paint. One? One out of 95. He does not belong at the point guard position. And it's crazy to say because of his playmaking ability. Okay, maybe he does belong at the point guard position, but he needs to be utilized differently. I think he needs to be the starting center. So their lineup isn't down two shooters. I think he needs to get traded somewhere. Apparently 12 teams are interested. At least a dozen teams are interested, according to ESPN's Brian Windhorst. At least a dozen teams are interested for Ben Simmons. How? Okay, anyway. Most bigs are reliable shooters nowadays. But he needs to play a spot like Jokic or like Sabonis, where he's he handles the ball on the perimeter, is good with like the dribble handoff, is good at playmaking. Um, but, you know, most of his damage is done in the low post. Jokic is a, is a good shooter from outside. Sabonis can step out there when he wants to. But he needs to play in a role something like that. The problem with trading him, I mean, I would think no one wants him. Apparently, a dozen teams are interested. Whatever. Every GM and owner and coach saw this playoff performance. It was impossible to ignore. 34.2% from the free throw line in the playoffs. Worst all-time minimum 70 attempts. I can confirm I would have shot double that. I shoot 60% from the free throw line on a bad day. It's sad. Almost my entire high school team can shoot better than that. At this point, it's in his head. No one can actually shoot free throws at that bad of a rate. He needs to get his confidence back. I don't know how. 
But no one's going to want what we just saw in the postseason, especially when you're paying him $146 million over the next four years. It's a bad contract. That's the problem if you trade him. If you keep him, it's going to be more of the same. There will be all these questions. Will he actually get better shooting? Will he actually take shots? Will he get his confidence up? Apparently, he's considering shooting with his right hand. He's considering just switching everything. That's how big of a mess this is. There are risks to both sides. You might not find a trade. And you probably won't find a better jumper if you keep him. I think they have to get rid of him, though. As long you know, as they get an above-average player and a first-round pick, at least. One of the worst things about this situation, they could have had James Harden. The Philadelphia 76ers could have had James Harden. The Rockets wanted Ben Simmons in the deal. It sounded like that was the most likely swap, Harden for Simmons, you know, with surrounding pieces and picks. But I am glad the Rockets didn't do that. Kelly Olenek looked really good compared to Ben Simmons. The Sixers have to get rid of Ben Simmons. However... Doc Rivers could be to blame as well. He had the talented Clippers teams with Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan. Never got to a Western Conference Finals. Had last year's Clippers team, blew a 3-1 lead. This year's Clippers team, basically the same team. Just switch Harrell with Kennard and lose Lou Williams. Ty Lue arguably has less to work with. He's got this team in the Conference Finals. How about that? There is a pattern with Doc Rivers. And it's unfortunate because he's an all-time great coach. But we can't totally pin this on Simmons. It's just the most obvious. We'll see what happens from here. At least they haven't beat. I was incredibly impressed with what he did on that slightly torn meniscus. Glad he didn't, like, you know, completely tear it and destroy his career. But it appears he didn't worsen it. Worsen it. He now needs that. He, he now needs the offseason to recover and stay dominant for next season. He needs a new Robin, though. And beats Batman, but he needs a new Robin. Simmons ain't cutting it. Seth Curry was worlds better than him this postseason. Seth Curry was the definitely the number two option on offense with the way he was shooting. He had multiple 30-point games, multiple games with six or more threes. He was lights out. When we come back, the men's and women's Olympic teams have been finalized. We'll also go through the all-NBA teams that were announced and then wrap it up. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the last segment of NBA Talk with Isaac Wolf. I am your host, Isaac Wolf. This is a very long episode because we missed a lot of stuff while I was in Ecuador, which was a lot of fun, by the way. Team USA, the Olympics are happening. I believe they start next month. The later year because of COVID, but they're here now. Here's what the women's team looks like, made up of all WNBA players. Ariel Atkins, Sue Bird, Tina Charles, Nafisa Collier, Collier Skylar Diggins-Smith, Sylvia Files, Chelsea Gray, Brittany Griner. She's the one who can dunk. Jewel Lloyd, Brianna Stewart, Diana Taurasi, the GOAT of women's basketball, and Asia Wilson. That team is loaded. They are representing. I am proud of the women's team for having all the big names show up. For the men's team, the final roster was final. The, the roster was finalized today. James Harden was going to play, but he withdrew because of you know his hamstring injury. That's not 100 percent 
I understand that kind of sucks that we won't see him. But here's what the team looks like. Biggest name on the team, definitely Kevin Durant. I love this guy. I really do. He is the only one who's played <laughs> for you, for like the only top name that has played for USA in 12, 16, and 20. I have a lot of respect for Kevin Durant. So it's going to be Durant, Damian Lillard, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum, Bradley Beal, Draymond Green, Bam Adebayo, Chris Middleton, Kevin Love, Drew Holiday, Zach Levine, and the last member of the team just announced a few hours ago, Jeremy Grant from the Detroit Pistons. That will round out the 12-man roster. And some of the notable names that declined, that we at least know declined, LeBron and AD, Lakers buddies. LeBron, you know, has that ankle issue. AD's got his groin and his entire body to fix, honestly. Steph, I am very disappointed in Steph Curry. He did not give a reason. I did not find a reason why Steph declined. He has not played it. I have not seen him play in the Olympics before. I may be wrong, but I don't think he's played in the Olympics before. Maybe he did in 2012. He just wasn't a big part of it, but it's sad. I don't, do you realize how crazy the international fans would be if they saw him shoot from the logo, which he does on a regular basis? If they saw the way Steph played in person at the Olympics, Oh my word, it would be, the crowd would be electrifying. The crowd would have so much fun watching Steph Curry play. And he doesn't have any problems that I know of. I mean, he's got a family to spend time with, I guess, but I want to see Steph Curry in the Olympics. I'm disappointed that he has not shown up in that regard. Donovan Mitchell is not playing because of his ankle. That was, you know, that bothered him in the first round. And then Jimmy Butler, he said he needs rest. Whatever. And then Chris Paul was going to play, but he declined. There was a false report that he was committed, but if we would have had Chris Paul, James Harden, Kevin Durant, that would have been great. But instead we have Jeremy Grant, Zach Levine, and Kevin Durant. And then Kyle Lowry. Those are the notable names that have outspokenly declined. Um, The All-NBA teams came out. Third team. Is composed of Kyrie, Bradley Beal, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, Rudy Gobert. Second team, Chris Paul, Damian Lillard, LeBron James, Julius Randle, Joel Embiid. And first team, Steph, Luka, Kawhi, Giannis, and Jokic. I do have problems with these. Why is Embiid not on first team? Forget about the center position. It's two backcourt, three frontcourt now, right? That's how we vote for All-Stars. I thought that's how these teams work too. Embiid was literally an MVP finalist. And Kawhi got over him? Kawhi got in over him? Come on. Really? Giannis doesn't even deserve to be in there over Embiid. Embiid needs to be on first team. Where's Russell Westbrook? There's no excuse that Russell Westbrook is not on the third team. Over Kyrie, who hardly played. Westbrook averaged 22, 11, and 11. Where's Devin Booker? Jimmy Butler didn't do anything. Compared to Booker, 
Booker's playing in the Western Conference Finals right now and is lighting it up. Some ask, where's James Harden? That's probably fair that he's not on there because, you know, he was gone for so long with injury. But you could argue that he's he should be in there. But why, why is Jimmy Butler on here? Seriously. Why is Paul George in there over Devin Booker? I gave him his credit earlier. But he wasn't better than Booker this season. Or Westbrook, for that matter. Switch Kawhi and Embiid up for first and second team. And then those two teams will be perfect. Third team is all sorts of messed up. I think my preferred third team would be Russ, Beal, Booker, hmm, Booker, Gobert. Gobert has to be there basically because he was a, you know, defensive player of the year. And then George, Paul George. Probably, yeah. I don't know why Jimmy Butler's there. Anyway, to wrap up today, this day in NBA history, in 1972, one of the most lopsided trades in NBA history, the Houston Rockets traded future Hall of Famer Elvin Hayes to the Baltimore Bullets for some guy named Jack Marin and future considerations. Hayes scored 15,551 points in a Bullets uniform. Averaging 21 points and 12 rebounds over his nine seasons with Washington. Happy birthday to Detroit Pistons point guard, Saban Lee. And congratulations to the Detroit Pistons for winning the draft lottery. Top three picks. Number one, Detroit. Number two, Houston, which I'm fine with as a Rockets fan. I was cool with any of the top three prospects. I love Suggs. I love Mobley and I love Cunningham. I'm cool with any of them, so we, we're probably going to get Mobley. Kid Cunningham is going to go the De- to the Detroit Pistons. He only has one workout scheduled. It's with Detroit. And then the Cavs got the third pick. I believe the Raptors got the fifth pick. Oh, oh no, Raptors were four, and then the Magic were five. I'm 95% sure. But I know the top four picks for sure were one Detroit, two Houston, three Cleveland, four Toronto. So, we'll see what the NBA draft looks like. That'll be in about a little over a month. And I will be sure to give you my preview. Because I this is one of my favorite draft classes in recent memory. <laughs>